Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. There's a difference between what customers say and what customers do. Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney know that also that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks. They eat hot dogs and hamburgers. Remember your goal. Your goal is to induce certain feelings, certain emotions, certain cognitions in your customers so that they have a better experience. People don't choose between experiences. They choose between the memory of an experience. And that for me is really, 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 really fundamental. Hi, this is Colin Shaw. One of our listeners come up with a great idea. He explained that he had a problem when listening to the podcast because he tended to listen to it when he was traveling or go to the gym, and therefore he couldn't take notes for his records and share the learnings with other people. So he asked whether we could do a podcast summary. So that's what we've done. It's a simple one-pager of the key takeaways and recommended actions, and we've loaded that onto our website. To download this, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary that's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary we hope it's of use so ryan we've recently been running some training for some of our clients on journey mapping oh good yeah uh, it's been really good actually it's um and i guess it made me realize that there's a lot of things that people don't know and there's a lot of things that people think they do know but they don't know Boy, that, that's wisdom of the for the ages. We, we can just stop what we're, we're going to talk about in this podcast episode. That just applies to everything, including yeah. you and me. I don't know where to go with that now. No, <laughs> that was just an eternal truth. All right, let's stop. And uh, we'll see you next week on the Intuitive <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. People don't know and then also think they know stuff that they actually don't know. I don't know what I'm really saying. So let me explain what I'm trying to talk about. What I'm trying to talk about is the fact that, you know, if you think back to when customer experience as a topic was was being discussed, you know, people started talking about journey maps. And to be honest with you now, everyone talks about journey maps and journey maps are great. And I'm not saying they're not. However, I guess part of the problem is people go, yeah, we do journey maps. And then I go, okay, let's have a look at some of your journey maps then. And I look at them and I think, that's not really a that's not really what I would call a journey map, yeah? Uh, and, and it's missing a few things. And, you know, sometimes it's a process, yeah? And people have given me a process, and I'm thinking, nah, that's a process. That's not a journey map, yeah? That's not what the customer's doing or what you want them to do. Or more typically, what you get is you get a journey map, but it's a very rational journey map, okay? It's sort of like journey mapping 101, 
And and I guess what we're going to do today is we're going to advance people's thinking on uh, how to create customer journey maps. Okay. So we've got five rules for advanced journey mapping. So this is in our series of five rules. Um, we've got five rules that I'm going to go through. I'm excited about this. Before we get into the five rules, though, there may be people out there who haven't used journey maps before or haven't been in organizations who've used them. Can you give our listeners, because you've got a lot more experience about this than I do, can you give our listeners a two-minute explanation of what journey maps are and what they do, the purpose that they might serve? Yeah, so let me give you an example, uh, and this is sort of from um, from actually some journey maps we did with uh, a client once. So uh, there is a big difference between a process. A process tends to be something internal. The customer will do this, then they will do that, then they will do this, and then that happens, and then this happens, yeah? Against a journey map. So a customer journey may be, in fact, let me do this test. I think I've done this with you before, so you, you may know the answer to this. Imagine that you were going to go to McDonald's, yeah? So what's the first stage of your journey? Being hungry or okay. having yeah. a child petition me aggressively uh, right. is more likely the start of that journey. So step, second step? Go get in the car, drive over there, be collecting orders as we get close to the restaurant because it, it'll be very likely it'll be a drive through experience for us. And then pull up to the, the squawk box and talk to them, go through, pay, get my food, and then drive home so we can eat it. Yep. So great. I mean, I, I could spend half an hour just talking about all that. And the great thing is, is what, what you picked out there, and these goes to some of the rules that we'll be talking about. The interesting thing is the first two or three stages of that, your journey there, you hadn't even got to the restaurant yet. Yeah. So a journey map is effectively what the customer is doing. Okay. And we'll use your, that example that you gave uh, as we sort of implement these five rules. So your, your example of a process would probably be something from McDonald's end, which is that it starts when they pull up to the speaker box at, in yes. the drive-through. Okay. Yes. So if you looked at it from McDonald's perspective, they would probably turn around and say from a process, customer places order. Order is entered into the system. Order is collected, you know, by whoever. Put in brown bag. 50 tons of ketchup is put in. <laughs> um, handed out the window to customer. Uh, say, have a nice day. You know, that that's a process. Now, there's so much more around that. I mean, and, and you mentioned, um, yeah, so I think that's a really good example, actually, because we'll be able to use that as we talk about these five advanced journeys so these are the five rules for advanced journey mapping okay and this is something we we train people on so if anybody's interested then give us a uh, drop us a line and we can talk to you about it but so step one is embrace the fact that a customer's journey is rational emotional subconscious and a psychological element to it as well psychological part to it so I guess people listening to this podcast will be no surprise that it's not just about what's the customer doing. Yeah, they're going to, to, to buy a McDonald's. It's also about how's the customer feeling going into that experience. In your example, Ryan, you know, you're driving along, you got the kids shout and you, you said that you were trying to collect their orders. You know, if you're anything like me, I'm thinking, oh, bloody hell, I can't, you know, I turn up to a Starbucks driver and I think, 
I can't remember everything everybody's told me. And now I'm 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 feeling quite stressed. Yes. No, it is it's a very stressful experience. You feel that social pressure of the people behind you in line. You know, it's it's difficult to communicate through through the technology sometimes. Yeah, no. Absolutely. So it's rational, it's emotional, it's subconscious. So there's a whole the whole area of what are the signals that are being given. And then there is the whole sort of psychology about, uh, and that's again what we talk about all on on uh, on this podcast. So that's the first rule. Okay, sort of a couple of things underneath that. If I just jump in and mention these, whilst it crosses my brain, one of the key things is to think about how is the customer feeling entering the experience. So you know when you when you pull up with your kids in the back and you've got five kids. And they're all shouting different things at you. How do you feel, and what's it like for you in that experience with McDonald's? So this is not hypothetical. You want to know how I'm feeling going into it. Uh, yeah, usually stressed, um, at least a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about being able to not trip over the order. I have a lot of kids, and so it's a lot of information flying back and forth. So distracted, a little bit stressed, sometimes hungry, and so agitated from that. So absolutely. So if you think about this, you know, why is that important? Well, you know, if I was advising McDonald's, I would be going, okay, so what is it you can do to make the customer feel better? Okay. What is it that you, you need to understand that the customer's feeling stressed? What you don't want to do is you don't want the person at McDonald's to start sort of tapping their finger and going, come on, hurry up with that order, you know, or, or in the tone of voice that they're using sort of uh, indicate that. Yeah, and one of the other things that you could do. So, if for instance, if the I think you called it a squawk box. So, if the squawk box is not very efficient, you know, and you're trying to tell them the order and it and it's the sound quality is not very good, then you're probably going to have to repeat it seventy two times, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Another one that's um interesting. We were doing some uh, training on this once, and I always remember asking. I was asking the audience this the delegates this and one of the guys said i get the package and i um i drive over to the, the uh, somewhere and i and i eat mcdonald's and he said then the last thing i do is i destroy the evidence <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i could see that too yeah. but again you know when you start to think about that that is sort of some of those more hidden aspects okay yeah, I've got I've got one more for us. I actually uh, I've got a, a an academic paper forthcoming uh, on this topic. So uh, some colleagues and I wrote on McDonald's on McDonald's. It's just it's a love right. letter really to McDonald's. <laughs> no, about uh, customer journey. So we okay. we reviewed the literature on social influences in the customer journey. So I found this out in the course of writing the paper. But uh, customer journey models date back to the late 1800s. Like people have been working on this for a long time. But most of them are individual maps. And so we we tried to point out the fact that at all these various stages in the journey, a lot of times a, a part of this emotional experience that people are having is the fact that they're having it with other people. So in our example, I'll usually have the kids in the car with me. And this will be kind of a social or family experience. But th this is another set of influences, right? So cognitive and emotional and also social and also rational. So, you know, look at this from these various perspectives, as you were saying. Yes. And if you think about the psychological, one, one that's just sprung to my mind is we're recording this in uh, June and I've seen massive lines of cars 
as different parts of the globe open up and McDonald's open up, and you know, huge lines of cars waiting to to get in to see them. So, okay, so that's rule number one. Rule number one: embrace the the fact that a customer journey is rational, emotional, subconscious, and psychological. Rule number two, and I guess this sort of talks to a bit about what you were just saying there, which is look for the hidden aspects of your journey. Yeah. So the first thing you got to do is go, well, what's happening today? Yeah. So what's the customer journey like today? And the mistake that people make is rather than what they would do in your example of McDonald's, they would turn around and go, the customer turns up to the squawk box and tells us what they want. What you did, which was really good, was to go, I'm hungry. That's one step. I'm now, you know, getting in the car. That's another step. I'm now driving to the restaurant. So recognizing that there are things that are happening prior to that and post that, i.e. I'm destroying the evidence. Yeah. And another one that, um, is sometimes hidden. So is a, you didn't know I was going to ambush you with all of my academic papers, Colin. Oh, but, uh, no, yeah, it's too late for you now. Um, <laughs> that we've got another. Uh, it, it actually should be published in in June in the Journal of Retailing. But we've got uh, an article where we we make the argument that customer returns should probably be incorporated into many, not all, but many customer journey maps because it's increasingly important. It's it's like ten percent of all retail sales are returned. And it increasingly feeds back into other stages of the journey. And yet most companies are not including returns in their journey maps at all. And it may be a very important part of the process. So are you looking for those hidden stages at the beginning, hidden stages at the end, hidden stages in the middle, like product returns? Make sure that you are are being very expansive and looking not just for the obvious, but for all as many of the stages as practical in between and in betwixt. Yes, no, absolutely. And to build on that, you know, for me, the reality is, is that organizations have got hundreds of journeys. So they may have the big one, which is I'm going to McDonald's. Yeah. You know, and that may account for 80% of it. But, you know, then there are even derivatives of that, isn't there? Which is I'm going to a McDonald's party or I'm going to McDonald's and I don't have a load of kids in the car or I'm going to McDonald's and I haven't been to one for ages and I don't know what to do. And each of those journeys should be subtly different. Yeah. I mean, there's an overlap with segmentation here too, isn't there? Where you may have different segments who have very different journeys and it may be worth mapping those out independently. Yes. So by now people would have heard of the face mask segmentation that we discussed a few uh, podcasts ago. And if you took that, the connotations or, or the outline of that face mask segmentation, which was, if you recall, going from, you know, full metal jacket, which is somebody that's, that's never been, hasn't been out the house because of COVID all through, all the way through to somebody that believes it's all a hoax, et cetera, et cetera the journey that you would design for both of those different types of people would be very different. And another one that I, I always use at this point is talking about, it was, it was actually in Atlanta. I flew into Hartsfield and I was staying at a, a local hotel. I can't remember which one it is, one of the big chains. Uh, and I was waiting for the shuttle to come and pick me up. 
and I waited for an hour for the shuttle to come and pick me up. And it took me three phone calls to, to, to find out where it was. But the impression I got was that the hotel didn't consider that part of their experience. They considered it a favor to me, you know, but it wasn't <laughs> because they had chosen to offer that as a service. Uh, and that's the thing that clouded the whole of my experience after flying into Hartsfield after nine hours on a plane and feeling absolutely shattered and everything else. So you got to think about um, you got to think about these hidden aspects, okay? The things that you may not even consider to be part of your journey, but are actually part of your journey. And your your um, your McDonald's example of of driving along in the car and the kids shouting out to you what they want and everything else is a great example of of that. Yeah, it it kind of goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of taking a customer's perspective instead of the company's perspective because from the company's perspective you know we we rent out hotel rooms and so the process starts when you walk in the lobby and yeah you know this is a nice thing we're doing for you but you're absolutely right. from the customer's perspective that experience starts when you call the hotel and ask them to send the shuttle over yes and and when we're doing this for clients so we train organized we train uh, people on how to do this but we also physically go in and do this ourselves for clients we would typically get a group of clients in a room or customers in a room and we would get them to build out a, a journey map themselves. And it's really, uh, and what we actually do, which is really in- interesting, is we also get employees to do the same thing and then you compare the two and and guess what? The journey map's the difference between what the employee thinks is happening and what the customer thinks is is happening. To show our appreciation, we're pleased to offer you a 50% discount on my book, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience, Extraordinary Stories of Remarkable Success. I give a number of examples of how the hidden customer experience has a huge impact upon growth and revenues. Please just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash unlock. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash unlock and use the promotional code podcast 50 that's podcast 50 so number three in the five rules for advanced journey mapping is define strategically what emotions drive most value across the marketplace so what we're really saying here is you know number one is around okay, we need to embrace the fact that this is not just rational, emotional, subconscious, and psychological. Number two is around, okay, let's map out what's currently happening, and we've got to think about these sort of hidden things. So that's really, when you think about it, you know, that's what's happening today. The issue for me then becomes, well, what's the experience that we're trying to deliver for tomorrow? And and what we know is that over 50% of an experience is about how a customer feels, so strategically, the organization should be saying, we want this experience. At the end of this experience, we want our customers to feel that they trust us or to feel cared for. And what we want to do is we want them to, those things like trust and feeling cared for, need to tie back into what drives value. So in other words, 
what drives net promoter score or what drives growth or what drives spend or whatever else it may be. But we're also looking across the market as well. So not just with their customers, but people that aren't their customers. And once we've understood that, so maybe strategically, we know it's trust and cared for. And now what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, okay, how can we design our experience that we've mapped out to evoke those emotions? Does that make sense? Oh, that's great. Uh, one of the things that I like about working with you, Colin, is that you're you're relatively hard-nosed about this stuff needing to deliver value for the company. A lot of marketing and, and a lot of customer experience uh, in particular can can be kind of like soft and fuzzy and and feel goody and you know we should do nice things for the customer. What I like about this bit of advice, this rule number three is, you know, now what are you going to do with this thing? There's a lot of marketing that goes on that seems to be just checking boxes like, okay, we need to do a segmentation. All right, we've done it. Good job, guys. High fives all around. Now let's put it in a desk drawer and never look at it again. Right. And I think that there's a lot of customer journey mapping. That's the same. Like, okay, now we've got our map. Let's go back to doing what we were doing before. Um, and, and this bit of advice gets to, you know, now that you've thought about this expansively in terms of emotional and, and cognitive and psychological, now that you've mapped out and found these hidden spaces, what are you going to do with it? Well, what you're going to do with it is remember your goal. Your goal is to induce certain feelings, certain emotions, certain cognitions in your customers so that they have a better experience and deliver value to the company. So you're going to kind of overlay that what emotions drive value onto each of these stages so that then you can do something useful with it. So I, I really like this this rule. Good, good. And I, I mean, I think this is an area that causes, is the reason for most failures in, in, in journey mapping and customer experience initiatives, which is they don't, for me, it's not an academic exercise. Hey, 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 I was just very nice to you. You don't, you don't need to talk like that. <laughs> no, I, you're right. It, it often is. It's like it's this thing that we we kind of have to do, and now we've done it, and we don't know yes. what to do with it. Yeah. So definitely needs to be fixed on, on a emotions, but b most importantly, what's driving value. And again, let's reiterate the importance of there's a difference between what customers say and what customers do. Okay. And for those regular listeners of the podcast will know, the example I always use, Disney know that people say they'd like to have an option of a salad. Disney know that also that people don't eat salads when they go to theme parks, they eat hot dogs and hamburgers. So if you're designing your experience and you're then going, well, let's fill the pot full of salads because that's what customers have told us that they want, that's the wrong thing. That's not going to drive value. And therefore, it's really important to do the research that goes, this is what customers say that they want, but this is what they're buying. Before we do any journey mapping, we typically would do that form of research first. So we then designing the experience with that in mind. I forgot to mention one other thing, which I think is really important in this last one about strategic and specific emotions. Too many journey mapping tools that I see talk about positive and negative emotions. For me, that's not good enough. Uh, for me, it's got to be specific. I mean, it's better than nothing, but it's not great. <laughs> it's not yeah. In, in sort of maturity, 
Yes, it's good that they've started to consider it, but, you know, it's got to move on from there. So let's get into some more of the the uh, more advanced stuff, and this is rule number four. Build in deliberate memory points. Okay, let me repeat that. Build in deliberate memory points. Now, again, regular listeners will know that memory is really, really important. And in fact, what uh, Professor Daniel Kahneman talks about, and he's won the Nobel Prize for Behavioral Economics, is people don't choose between experiences. They choose between the memory of an experience. And that, for me, is really, 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 really fundamental. So once you've now gone, here is my design of my experience, you've got to go, how do I create that memory now? You know, because it's not just about the experience that they have, but it's the memory that's even more important because people choose between memories, not not the actual experience. So this then goes into, and we don't have a chance to go into it today, but this goes into the peak end rule, which again is Kahneman stuff, which he talks about how a memory is formed by the peak emotion that a customer feels and the end emotion a customer feels, and they can be positive or negative. So again, critically, I'm now looking at my journey, you know, which is in sort of step two, and I'm going, what's the peak emotion that my customer is feeling today? And what's the end emotion that my customer is feeling today? And that then ties into rule number three, which is, and do those things drive value for me? Do those emotions drive value for me? And if they don't, then you've got to change them. So you've got to really look at building these memory points deliberately into your experience. And I'm going to let you tell people about fishing nets. I'll remind people briefly about fishing nets. Okay. Fishing nets is our metaphor that we use on the podcast to explain one of the major theories of memory, which is the idea that, that memories exist as this complex structure like a fishing net where all of the, these memories are tied together. And when you activate one node, one memory, you also activate all of the, the nodes around it. So this is like having a fishing net that's laying on, on the ground. And when you activate one part of it, when you pick up one knot in the fishing net, you are also dragging up the knots that are close to it as well. So when you're building out memories for people, when you're encouraging people to remember certain things, recognize that, that you're actually encouraging them to remember kind of a network of things. And so manage the entire net, not just, just one part of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of things. I mean, if you now, it's the trouble with podcasts. I really would like to be visual with people, but can't show them a slide. As nice as it would be for the slides, Colin, they would also have to look at us. So, you know, it's a real trade-off situation that we've got here. Good point. Well, mate. If you imagine this fishing net that Ryan's talking about, and now imagine your customer journey or the customer journeys they've had with you, it's probably more to the point because it's a memory, and those sort of interconnecting pieces, you could effectively be laying those different journeys of the past in that memory map. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, those connections, are, that's effectively the fishing net. Absolutely. And for those people that want to dive into this in more detail, because it's one of my favorite topics, two podcasts you may want to listen to. One is uh, the massive effect of memories on customer experience. 
And we also did another one of these five rules of making and managing customer memory about a month ago. So just go back in the podcast and you'll see us talk about those things there. Okay, rule number five, identify how to nudge customer decision making. So rule number five is identify how to nudge customer decision making. So what does this rule mean? This rule really is looking at this whole fourth area that we talked about in rule number one, which is was embracing that uh, rational, emotional, subconscious and psychological part. So here we're really talking about this psychology piece and mapping out how customers are making choices, making decisions. So again, in our journey mapping, which we call behavioral journey mapping, what we do is we look at these four different aspects and across that journey, we would therefore be then saying, at this point, there is a bit of framing happening. At this point, the customer has this sort of illusion of control. At this point, maybe we should be priming the customer here. So we're using all the theories that we talk about on this podcast every week, and we are putting those into the existing journey map. What's the customer doing today? How are they making choices? And then we are converting that into what we want them to do and what are the nudges that we're going to put in that new journey map? What are the new habits that we're going to put in that new journey map? Where is the customer... Uh, where is the customer being affected by loss aversion or are they intuitively or rationally making the decision here or are those two areas in conflict of each other and how do we design that experience does that make sense it's great yeah this is another along with the rules three and four this is another bit of guidance for what you do with your journey map after you've created it like why are you going through all of the expense and hassle of creating these journey maps why well it's to help you make better decisions about managing the customer experience one thing that i tell my students and my consulting clients is that behavioral economics does not work in general Right? It, it does not produce these general theories where you should just always do this or always do that Behavioral science, behavioral economics only works in specifics. So if you want to use a framing effect, well, that's only going to work in a very specific, well-defined setting. And journey maps are how you get down to that, right? So that you know, okay, at this stage in the journey, here's where we have an opportunity to frame something, or here's a bias that's likely to exist for customers at this specific setting. And again, usually that'll be specific to the segment as well. So that's why you do journey maps. It's so that you can identify opportunities to recognize what customers' emotional states are and come up with ways of changing them. It's so you can identify opportunities for framing effects, for choice architecture, for nudges. Uh, It's so that you can get real specific because it's only in the specifics that this stuff has any chance of working. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, it's about being deliberate, okay? And deliberate for me is a really important word because, you know, it means, if you think about it, deliberate would have come from the word liberate, you know, so everything's sort of liberated. In other words, everything's free, yeah? 
and now we're going to deliberate it. So in other words, we're going to be very specific about it. We're going to be very conscious about it. We're going to be going, okay, we have deliberated about it. We've debated it. We've decided that this is going to be the thing that we're going to do, which also means that here are the things that we are not going to do. So we've rejected some things. So you're being very specific, as Ryan's saying about it, uh, which I think is important. And again, we could talk for hours just on all of these topics about framing and extremeness aversion and loss aversion and blah, 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 blah. I think if you look back across the podcast, Colin, we actually we have talked <laughs> for hours about those topics. So. Good point. Well, man. Just as a reminder, we do a podcast summary of this. We will be writing down the five rules for advanced journey mapping, which will be available for everybody to download from our website. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. And also in the podcast summary, I'll make sure we throw in some links to those two academic articles that I mentioned, because I'm sure our listeners are dying to read more academic articles, and I'm nothing if not wildly self-promotional. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, we'll make sure those are included as as well. So let me just remind you of the, the um, summarize the five rules again. So five rules for advanced journey mapping. One, embrace that the journey is rational, emotional, subconscious, and psychological. Two, Look for the hidden aspects of a customer journey. Three, define strategically what specific emotions drives most value across the market. Four, building deliberate memory points. And five, identify how to nudge customer decision making. So we hope that's been of use to you today. If you get any questions, if you want any further information on the training or the um, how we go about it, then then please let us know. Just drop us a line at uh, contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.